Coming to you from the deluge that is now Boulder, Colorado. We are the Lanky Guys, and you are listening to The Word on the Hill. I am Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musson. And it is a good thing that we are so lanky because we had kept our heads above water. Oh my gosh, barely. Flood. But we're lanky, so. We're lanky. The water goes right past us. It's, it's just a, right through. It's kind of like um, uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Depending on how you measure a lanky guy, he can be either a wave or a particle. We're probably the only podcast that pulls out Heisenberg's uncertainty principle within the first 30 seconds of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Dude, I have to say, it was it was fun to try to actually complete a podcast with the Harbingers, the Bears. Dude, they tried to tell us. They tried to warn us. Yeah, if you listened last week, hopefully you did. We recorded the uh, podcast. There is a squirrel that is giving me the death look right now. <laughs> I wish you could see this thing. Dude, is that another harbinger? I hope not. Is as it? you said, uh, as you were talking about animals being harbingers, this squirrel is just, I mean, it's a fat squirrel and it's just looking at me. Well, dude, there are, the squirrels are out, man. I'll tell you <laughs> well, what. Well, because everything else is too. Everything's washed away. They're gathering nuts for winter. <laughs> and, nuts for and, the winter. And trash and beer cans. <laughs> they are. We're in Boulder. Dude, I think I saw like a, a squirrel once or somebody, you know, you know how like somebody else tells you a story. It's not a squirrel or somebody. I, and, and somebody tells you a story and no. it becomes a part of your psyche. So I have this image <laughs> in my mind of a squirrel in a, um, uh, a a bag of chips, just like running around with its feet. But the front of it was in a bag of chips. That sounds familiar to me, too. I, you, you see, you see <laughs> I don't know why, though. I know. Welcome to the next level. It's like, dude, I think somebody did Inception in, our, in our brains. In our brains. For, with the with this squirrel chips. It's still, he's still looking at me. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so last week we recorded live from a flood. Well, it wasn't live, but we recorded during the flood. There were bears up in the tree, which we later realized, wait a second, the bears all came out of the mountains where the floods all hit, and they climbed a tree <laughs> hours before the city of Boulder was flooded. Man, you do the math. I, I'm pretty good at math, and so far the equation comes out that the variable insists that they understood. Variable. Oh. No? Too soon? Oh, too soon. Too, too soon. late. Yeah. Anyway. So, so so thanks for hanging with us. I mean, we got very excited about the bears, but we should have listened to them instead. The bears. The bears. And, we should have. Well, and, what could we have done? And, dude, just a, just a reminder, you know, one of the things that happens with national and international news is that people, um, they're like, wow, that's really intense, and then they go on. Make sure to, there's like a bunch of people who like got airlifted out of their houses, of which there's no roads back to their no. houses. No, so many roads in the mountains are just obliterated. And so I don't know how these people are going to actually get back to their houses to like winterize them. Like oh, yeah. it's... So it, it's just a it's just a royal mass. Everyone, all the people who live in Jamestown were hiking back up because there's no road up there. Oh, they were hiking back. Yeah, up. they were hiking it. Yeah, that's the only roads to Camboy Tiwa are gone. That's yeah, and that's that's my one of my favorite places to off road is up left hand. Yeah, and now to get there now you, you have to off road. Well, I was thinking, man, this is what we should do. Is I need to get my off roading club, my, the dudes that I go off roading with, and get like a deal with like the fire rescue people because. We, we're we're like easily ten inches above everything that they have, yeah. And so we so you get the hardcore extreme off roading guys to be able to do some of the. They've search got and some rescue. pretty big stuff though. They got big stuff, but not. I mean, this is the thing: is that we're specially equipped to That's rock true. crawl over the most insane terrain that you have, and That's we're true. and we're experts in in rescue and recovery, vehicle rescue and recovery. And you're priests, so you can give last rites to anybody. Dude, that's exactly. I'm, I'm just gonna put a big cross on my on my side of my. Well, you jeep. already have a Roman collar on the front. I know. So if you ever Grill. see a Roman collar jeep, that's me. Big you, one. 
wave and, and shout, Lanky! We'll send you and Father... Yes, that's, that's what we'll do. Okay. That's we'll send good. you and Father Dave Hasser from uh, Indiana. Dude, a couple shots out today. He's a listener. Hey, Father David hey, Father, But he has, he's also a jeeper. He's got a big jeep. Oh, dude. That's you and him, awesome. man. Anyway, shout outs. Do you have any shout outs? Um, but first of all, before we do with shout outs, because we do have some specific, we get a lot of emails and messages and notes on Facebook about people who are praying for us and just pulling for us in Boulder. So we thank you for that. Yes. Um, we made it out of this a lot better than a lot of people did. There's damage to the church and the student center, but our student center oh, got we're a, standing. about 300,000 gallons to, to three to 500,000 gallons of water in the basement. And that was just in the bathtub. Ah. <laughs> we were going to, we were going to get Scott's kayak and like, and kayak down in the basement of the student center just for good measure. Just for good measure. But it was really disgusting. It was nasty. And so we, we decided that that wasn't a good plan. People were kayaking in Boulder Creek. Here, you want to know. not a good idea. No, that's, they got arrested too. The minute that you play in the water. They, they got, well, I don't know if anyone actually did. They threatened arrests. Oh. Well, dude, this is the thing is that uh, it was the first day that we had adoration done at the student center. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we had adoration there all day at the student Whoa. center, and then it got flooded. The adoration chapel's gone. <laughs> well, but we rescued the the altar yeah. and the monstrance and Jesus. Yeah, so we're good. Yeah, uh, Cassie from Benedictine. Cassie, from, I want to say what's up. She was she was wondering why uh, everybody else always got to shout outs, and I said because you gotta ask for it. Yeah, this is the thing is they just, like they like you got to be like what's up. Can just sit there and wait for a shout, shout out. out. So, Cassie, thanks for the love. All right. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to <laughs> – this is great. I want to give a shout-out to Travis Chapman. Oh. Do you know Travis? No. He's he's in the Denver area. He uh, So I spoke at a Theology on Tap in Denver on Monday. And um, at the end of the talk, the, the guy who was introducing me, Dave Hazen, also Daisy. a shout-out to Dave, he uh, said that we have a, this podcast, you know, the Lanky Guys. Anybody li- he, and he said to the crowd, anybody listen to the Lanky Guys? And some guy way out of the back corner yelled, how does Moses make his coffee? <laughs> I was so excited. Hebrews! And everyone else just stared at us awkwardly. <laughs> but that's okay. I appreciated it, and I felt like I had arrived, that someone shouted a stupid joke that I had told how, in a crowd. So, Travis, here's to you. Thanks for coming out how does, uh, to Theology on Tap. How does Moses deal with his blood thinners? Uh, he bruises. <laughs> <laughs> You're really trying to get that. Yeah, I really Bruises am. in there. I'm trying to figure out the joke to get the bruise in there. That's closer. Yeah, it's closer. It's closer. It's, that's not as good. Um, so, yeah, Travis, here's to you. Whoop. Uh, thanks for saying hi on Monday. Um, we also should talk about – well, you have other shout-outs, don't you? No. Because then we should talk about that that other thing that we found out about ourselves. <laughs> so we discovered something. I learned this at Theology on Tap, but apparently. Good, which is appropriate to learn at Theology on Tap. It is. Do you guys know what Theology on Tap is? It's this. I do. Well, you do. You other guys? You hey, squirrel? Hey, hey, do you know what uh, Theology on Tap is? Yeah, I know what Theology on Tap is. <laughs> Let me tell you what Theology on Tap is. It's a place where people have beers and then they um, answer their own questions. <laughs> You're getting ahead of yourself. Ah! Don't jump ahead of yourself. Theology on Tap is a great program. It's in a lot of places around the country. People get together at bars and they talk about theology and they hear speakers. And it's neat in a bar in a public setting. So it's yeah. just it's just actually trying to be winsome and have a have a way to get people to hear something that's cool and good. Come be winsome this Monday night. Winsome theology on tap, dude. I'm gonna name if I don't have any children. I won't ever have any children. But that, 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 <laughs> I like that you a, said if I. Have. But this is the thing is that like I always have this like if in my mind for children. I've always had that since I was a boy, and I was like, if I ever have a daughter, I'm gonna name her Jezerubali. <laughs> and it, really, it's, it's Jezerubali. Yeah, for that reason alone, I am is why I, you're I've not been declared a celibate. Yeah. 
but but Praise I would be to God. I would name my son Winsome. No, you wouldn't. I would I would say Winsome Marvin Musset the third. Winsome, you can't just pull out a third. Well, yeah, I mean I can. You can you? I mean I'm I'm referring to like the musical tonality, like a third, a third note. Yeah, yeah, fair third, enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, what Father Peter is getting at is there, uh, we discovered there is a drinking game. That's how you know you've arrived at the, as a Catholic podcast, <laughs> as, if, as if there is a drinking game related to your show. They were doing it at Theology on Tap. Apparently, um, every time I answer my own question, you take a drink. So I don't know. <laughs> Which I'm, you were I'm, doing I'm, for this one as we're going. Right now? Well, yeah. I mean, did before, I already do it? Well, yeah. That's why I started. Yeah. That's why I started answering your question, and then I asked myself a question. What was my question? Answered. See, sometimes I didn't even. I don't even know. I asked one. I don't even. I don't know. I just started. Oh. I started saying something. Apparently, I was doing it a lot on theology and tap. It's because like it was loud. It's a bar. And I can't hear what people are answering. I know. Or they just stare at me with blank stares. Well, and you do it with me because I, I always because you yelled at me about it. You <laughs> yelled at me, and I told <laughs> Carrie Floyd that on Monday. I was like, Father Peter yelled at me for not answering my own questions. I know, dude. It's it's because I. So did Neil. Neil Musset. You also gave me a bad rap for that. I know. It's all right. But that's okay. But it, it makes anyway. for a fun a fun game. So you guys can all drink banana quick milk. Oh, banana quick. That sounds terrible. Dude, banana quick, dude. That's that's glorious. No, man. it sounds awful. Oh man. Don't 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 be hating on the banana. I'm not. I'm not. All right, we should get into it. So we are in the twenty fifth Sunday of ordinary time. The first reading is from Amos chapter eight. Verses four through seven. The psalm is one thirteen. One through two, four through six, seven through eight. That sounded like uh, a skit, like when you skip in, in, you have like hopscotch. That sounded like hopscotch. <laughs> and then we have uh, First Timothy 2. 1 through 8. And then we have the Gospel Luke 16. 1 through 13. Word to your mama. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever she is. Wherever she may be. All right. So we should talk about this. So first we have, um, oh man. Amos. Famous famous Amos. Famous Amos. So eat a cookie every time you... Well, dude, Amos... Not during Mass. Amos is like some of the most primitive... It's some of the most (laughs) primitive Hebrew that you can ever read in the Old Testament. That's good. That's a good Irish. Hey, thanks. It's going to... If you keep doing it, it'll degenerate into a Russian one, which all of your accents do in the end. (laughs) And then then maybe um, um, uh, Indian. (laughs) They're all sort of the same. It's going to become Borat in the end. (laughs) I did... Wow, you pierced my heart. Did I really? Yeah, dude. You just, no. call, you just called me Borat, man. No, I didn't. I called your accent Borat. Oh, I didn't mean to pierce your heart. I didn't mean anything mean by it. That's okay. Oh, man. I I, I forgive you. Do you? Uh-huh. Egotay of Dalvo. Yeah, I have forgiveness. See, look. Look into my, my doughy um, deer eyes. I don't know what the heck that means. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like All right, the so Amos. Squirrel. I'm the squirrel. Stop it. It's creeping me out. Squirrel eyes. Stop it. <laughs> I see the squirrels. No, he's gone now. Okay. All right, so Amos. Um, he no? has. <laughs> you were about to say something about the primitive Hebrew in Amos. Yeah, he, uh, that, that it's suspected that this actually could be one of the uh, one of the oldest books. Yeah, it's it's that is the kind of most common interpretation that it's the first of the prophets it's certainly the first so you know we have the the major prophets and the minor prophets have you heard this yes so you got the uh, so what are the, so what are the major prophets and major the minor prophets, prophets well let me tell you oh so you can have a drink okay i got my gatorade <laughs> <laughs> i've got my espresso in a cup that says prego um <laughs> see the you know the major prophets are like isaiah and jeremiah and daniel and ezekiel, ezekiel. The, the big ones they're big not dogs. they're not big but their books are big 
And then you have what's called the 12 minor prophets, the book of the 12, right? 12. Amos, Hosea, Zechariah, Habakkuk. Come back. Or as a friend of mine used to say, Habakkuk. Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. He was from Texas. Habakkuk. Nice. Anyway. So Amos is, is believed to be the first one. Okay. Actually. And so Amos was a prophet. There's a series of prophets that are sent to the southern kingdom. So remember, at one point in time, Israel's kingdom split north and south. And yep. two of the tribes stayed down south. They had Jerusalem and the temple. And the other group, the ten tribes, went up north and founded their own kingdom. And eventually they started ordaining their own priests and establishing their own temples. And it became pretty bad. So Amos was one of the ones sent up to the northern kingdom. But mm. he was actually not a northerner. He was somebody from Judea, a town called Tekeo, I think, uh, and he was sent from the south up to the north. So he probably wouldn't have been very well liked. Oh, okay. I always, you know, I had a professor who suggested that Hosea may have been written before Amos. Oh. Um, I don't I don't think that's true, but it's interesting. Hosea is written around the same time period to the same group of people. But if you if you kind of read the two together, they're both relatively short. Hosea gives all these warnings to the northern people that says, you know, if you don't clean up your act, then you're going to get punishment. You know, clean up your act, fix things, turn back to God or else. And then you get Amos, which is sort of the, it almost seems like the answer to that. It's, there's no if then. It's just, okay, it's done. You guys are finished. There's punishment coming. It's too late in a certain sense. Yeah, Amos which is, is very sad. It's a it's a dark book. And it's heavy, man. It's heavy. Although, it is really heavy. But I pulled this this out. Um, I, I found this in my notes, buried in my notes from prophets a long time ago. Remember a number of weeks ago we talked about the uh, the idea of the um, what do you call it, the yoke? Yeah. So Jesus's yoke. So rabbis had this principle that you know you could there's 613 laws, but you could whittle them down to kind of the one key statement. Yeah. There's a quote about the book of Amos, and this comes actually from the Babylonian Talmud. So the Babylonian Talmud is essentially a commentary on the scriptures written when they were up in Babylon, presumably. But this comes from a guy named Rabbi uh, Simlai, who says this. This is a great quote. He said, The 613 commandments that were given to Moses were reduced by David to 11. And in Psalm 15, he talks about the 11 kind of key things. Isaiah reduced them to 6, chapter 33 of Isaiah. Micah reduced them to 3 in Micah chapter 6. Isaiah further reduced them down to 2 in Isaiah 56. And finally, Amos came and reduced them all to 1 which is the quote from Amos f- chapter 5, verse 4, seek me and live. Nice. Seek me and live, which is the summary statement of all of it. It's a neat um, quote, though, I thought. That's a that's really cool. Isn't that cool? Maybe I'll put that on the Facebook site if you guys want to look and, and find those references because it is kind of cool to kind of go through that schema. You could make a Christmas song after that, <laughs> out of that. <laughs> <With> some... <laughs> that's exactly where I thought you were going. <laughs> the 613. How could you make a Christmas song? Um, I just picture bells ringing in the background. And a part two. 613, 613, 613 commandments. <laughs> they were reduced by Isaiah <laughs> to 11 and David. Okay. Hey. I don't know why I'm singing it in falsetto, <laughs> <laughs> but I am. Because it's Christmas. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this passage. This isn't a long passage, but it comes from chapter 8, uh, verse 7. In chapter 8, where this kind of falls in the context, um, in I think it's in chapter 7 and 8. There's a series of uh, basically five warnings that go out. Um, five, um, what is it? How, how do you, how do I put this? I'm trying to find my notes. Oh, five visions. He sees five visions of judgment, right, that, I, that Amos is going to share. Um, and those five visions, that's kind of the last part of the book. These five visions of judgment that is going to come on the people. So in chapter 7, he gives this, he proclaims this judgment against one of the unrighteous priests up there. Um, he's told in chapter 7 and 8 that the end is coming. He sees this basket of summer fruit 
in a vision, and he's told that that kind of is his way of saying that the end is nearer. It's summer, you know, the nice weather's ending and fall and winter are on the way. Um, and we get where we pick it up actually comes during the fourth of these five visions. Uh, so um, let's see. Yeah, and basically what we get, what we get in this section, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it's all about wailing and crying and mourning and death and this famine is coming. And then we get the answer to why it's coming. So in verses 1 through 3, we're told disaster is coming, death, punishment, chaos. And then in our section, we're told why it's coming. Why is it coming? Well, if <laughs> there's another one. You can take a drink. Why is it coming? <laughs> well, it's coming because <laughs> uh, basically because they're trampling over the poor. So again, think about this. Verse 1 through 3, death, punishment is coming. Why? Well, here's where we pick up. Hear this, all you who trample on the needy and destroy the poor of the land. Mm. When will the new moon be over, you ask, that we may sell our grain on the Sabbath, that we may display the wheat? Um, It's actually interesting. It's an interesting insight into how people are viewing not only their faith and their religion, but also um, money and everything else. I mean, look at this line. It says, "When when will the Sabbath be over? So that we can go back to business, so we can go back to making money and selling our wheat. And this idea that commerce kind of trumps everything else, our yeah. business, they're, they're going through the motions, right? Okay, yes. we'll follow the Sabbath, we'll put up with it, but when can we be done with the Sabbath so we can go back to selling our things? And what he's, what Amos is connecting is, is that mentality is actually trampling down the poor. It's cheating them, it's trampling the needy and everything else. It reminds me of when I was in the Holy Land. Um, we were doing the the stations of the cross through Jerusalem, yeah. And uh, I and I was like leading it, and there was this little kid who ran into me, uh, kind of with his parents on the way to sell stuff, yeah. And he just he just looked at me and he threw his arms out like he was gonna fight me. And I was seriously, like, yeah. And I was like, I'm like a priest, like leading this. <laughs> And Holy he had cow. so much anger and fear, ferocity in his eyes. Whoa. And uh, and it was like in that moment that I realized, like, as Jesus is being led to the cross, wow. He, I mean, it was like there's all these people who are like, guys, this is just inconvenient. I'm just trying to go sell some hats, man. Wow. And like, the, the, like, or those big glow in the dark rosaries. <laughs> it's not a holy land site no. without the big glow in the red no it isn't but but that's ex- that, that's actually yeah. where, it's, where it's like when you look at what's happening right here it's really clear yes i mean because it's the the point of insight of entry for me is you sell the lowly for silver it's like yeah we have really one spot where we get that yes which is going to help us really understand what's going on in the gospel wait what do you mean Jesus is sold for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, oh, I, I I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. What do you do if Father Peter answers his own question? Then they um, have to pour another drink. Ah! Yeah, it's it's really interesting, though. But So I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but just, just I want to mention it. There's a commentary, John Bergsma, who's a great, you know John Bergsma out at Steubenville? He's a, he's a great theologian. I don't know. Um, he's got a website called The Sacred Page. Oh. But I was reading his his thoughts on this passage this morning, and he uh, he's connecting because you know they're bringing up the Sabbath day, and he's connecting it to our observance of the Sabbath and how you know okay so what do we do with that? And he was pointing out how as as a culture we don't really care about the Sabbath anymore, no. which has now been shifted to Monday or for, to <laughs> to Sunday, you know, because of the resurrection. But we don't really care about it. And, you know, we, those of us who you know we go to mass and then we kind of rush out to the, go to the grocery store. Well, what does that do? Our 
observing the Sabbath. We go to Mass, we do our thing, but then we go to the mall, we go to the stores. What is that doing? Well, in a certain sense, just culturally, it's forcing those stores to be open. Who yes. usually works at a lot of those stores? Oftentimes, it's the people who make like minimum wage, which in a certain sense are the poor of our society. So our demand for commerce, our demand for stuff and being able to buy is, in a certain sense, trampling down the poor and the needy, in a certain sense, or just the lower rungs, because they are forced to do this work for us so that we can enjoy our day and have our food and have our barbecues. It's, it was an interesting insight, and so I just... I wanted to point that out. Yeah. Because we do it. So, yeah. There you have it. Take that. Put that in your... Whatever. <laughs> put, put that in my computer and process it. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to Psalm 113. Yeah? Psalm 113. Anything else on Amos for you? Um, I mean, no. I, I just I just think it's it's really clear, the, the, the passion of the Christ in in the middle of this. And Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like... When will the new moon be over? Jesus is actually the the true Passover. He's actually the poor and the lowly. Like, like it's just for for me, it's just like mm. it's like let's be over with all this worship stuff and get back to what really matters, which is just business. It's like just what you're saying, but I think it right. it actually unless we're we're seeing Christ, then we're kind of missing how how Amos is really actually because of his intensity, yes. he he really is actually helping us understand who he is. No, you're absolutely right. Um, when I taught the prophets back when I worked at the biblical school, we went through the, all the, the, the book of the 12, so the 12 minor prophets, which are actually really hard to get through. And some of them are, are, are really dark or really obscure or just kind of cryptic. It's really hard. Yeah. And what I challenged my students to see at the end of going through all 12 of those mm-hmm. is that, I mean, we know that everything in the Old Testament points to the new ultimately, but you can take specifically those 12 minor prophets and you can get little pieces, little little snapshots of what will happen to Jesus, and you can put them all together like a jigsaw puzzle to form this broad picture that the minor prophets are all doing. So here's this one detail about the poor being sold for 30 pieces of silver, or being sold for silver, which will happen. Yeah. Here's another about, you know, the, the Savior's going to be born to a virgin. You know, all these things, you put them yeah. all together, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, you have this mosaic, yeah. which is very beautiful. Um, so he's embedded in there if we if we know how to look for him. I mean, th- this whole reading is really about the fact that we've um, we've um, exalted ourselves and we've trampled the lowly, which is where we segue into this next reading. So Psalm one thirteen, um, Psalm one thirteen. So I was I was going. It's a beautiful psalm. You know, praise the Lord who lifts up the poor. Obviously, the, see the connection with the poor and things like this. But then I was reading a, a commentary on this psalm and just uh, some reflections on this. And this author I was reading suggested that. Um, and and <laughs> this is just a book that just happens to be reflections on each of the Psalms. But this particular reflection he had on Psalm 113 is that in his opinion, Psalm 113 is a direct summarization of the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which happens to be where our readings have been coming from. But if you read Psalm 113, it is the Gospel of Luke in condensed form. And then the Gospel of Luke is Psalm 113 expanded and and kind of... Uh, put color on. So, I mean, think that's, of... That's cool, because, I mean, e- even just the last verse, he raises up the lowly from the dust, we see it directly um, imaged in the uh, in the Magnificat of Mary's yes. fiat. And that's the whole thing. I mean, the whole imagery of Psalm 112... I'm sorry, 113. It's 112 in Greek and 113 in Hebrew. Sorry, Dude, that's always, that always messes me up. I know, it totally messes me I up. G- I give penances in in the <laughs> confessional, and like, and like I give them, and I'm like, I don't know what Bible they're going to use, but the Lord is in charge. He'll so. figure it out. <laughs> Work it out. But it, it the whole thing is structured on this polarity between the high and the low, the lowly and the... And the so, you know, you, you get things like the Lord is exalted over the nations. He's above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is on high? 
But then it also talks about he watches over the humble. He watches over the earth. He lifts the beggar from the ground. He raises up from the dunghill. He makes the lowly sit on high places with the princes. This is Psalm 113. Again and again, it's going through all of these huge imagery, which is all about the Magnificat. You know, which this is what Mary is saying. He's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He's put the mighty down from their thrones. He's lifted up the lowly. It's all these ironic reversals. Well, And, and this is the <clears> thing that, that you have to already be seeing in the first reading yeah. is is unless we actually look upon Christ who is poor, yes. we miss this. Then when we're talking about 113, we're talking about Amos and the, yeah. the poor being trampled upon. Christ didn't come in an exalted state. He right. came homeless, right. born to a very poor family yeah. as, as, a, as a tecton, as a as a craftsman. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We were, uh, I was meeting with the focus crew this morning. We were talking about the book of Philippians, which has that great hymn in the middle of, what is it, chapter 2? Where Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped literally at. it's grasped at or exploited. So he is God, but he doesn't count that as something to be exploited. You know, when they when they were leading him to the cross and people were spitting on them, he could very well have just shot him with a bolt of, of lightning or something, right? Mm-hmm. But he didn't do that. He just took it. And it said he humbled himself rather and took the form of a slave and being born in the likeness of men found human appearance. I mean, the very fact that I was talking about this this morning, but I mean if you guys have ever thought about the fact God, the God who is, the God who created all, yeah. actually became the kind of creature that needs his diaper changed. The God of the universe had to have his diaper changed. Pete his pants. He did. I mean, that's not that's scandalous, but that's not untrue. I mean, is it possible that, that his parents could have dropped him when he was a baby? I remember being terrified <laughs> for almost the whole first year of my daughter's life. I was just going to drop her, which is yeah. a possibility. But he became um, subject to that. He really did. He had to sleep when he got tired. He had to eat when he got hungry. I mean, that's a profound mystery. He had to stretch after he worked on stone. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, that, that, he's is a, that a, <laughs> no, no, he was a Oh, like, he I was like, looking stretch. for the pun. I thought there was a pun in there somewhere. <laughs> no, I was just talking. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, hold on. <laughs> no, I just thought there surely had I, to be a I, pun I, there. But yes, <laughs> yes. Dude, have I so habituated you that I am a jokester? That no, but you have this certain tone of voice when you're making a pun, and you had it that time. <laughs> I did. Tease me. I'm a deceiver. But it's it's really profound. Even the the so going back to Luke, you know. That opening. So the way Luke begins, mm-hmm. do you remember how Luke starts? Do you remember the first scene in Luke? I'm not going to answer this myself. What's the first thing that happens in Luke? Hold your glasses. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. Well, now I have to. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll remember. It's the scene of Zechariah in the temple. Remember, it opens oh, with yes, the of scene course. of Zechariah, the, the yeah. priest. For some reason, I always shoot to chapter two with Mary and the Annunciation. I know. And all that. Like, I skipped the first part, but John the Baptist is announced That's first. what's so weird about the Gospel of Luke, though. And this is this is to the point of kind of what Luke is doing. The, you expect it to be the birth of the Messiah. You expect it to be Mary. You expect it to be Gabriel. But it's not in Luke. It's actually the scene of this priest, Zechariah, he and his barren wife, who are told that they're going to bear a child. And then that segues to the second scene, which is this poor you know, peasant girl, 13-year-old, 12-year-old girl, Mary, in this place called Nazareth, which is Nowheresville. I mean, it's just Hicksville. And she is told that she's going to have the birth of the Messiah. Now, think about that for a second. It's the angel Gabriel who appears to both of them. Which is the more important message? That the forerunner to the Messiah is going to be born or the, the Messiah will be born? The Messiah, of course. Obviously the Messiah. So who, just thinking in human terms, who would you expect to be receiving the more important message? The priest in the temple in Jerusalem or the poor 12-year-old peasant girl in Wichita, Kansas? Sorry for all of you in Wichita, Kansas. 
I mean, where would you expect it to be coming? Who would you expect to get the more... You were, you were on your phone. No, I wasn't. Yeah, you were. Who would you expect to get the more important announcement, though? The priest in temp- at the temple or the poor peasant girl? Well, I mean, this is the thing. In my, human my, terms. My, just my, in human terms. Okay, the priest. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to... But, I mean, that, that's, what, that's what Luke is doing. He's showing you everything is reversed. Yeah. Everything you expect, the, 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 the mighty are being brought down, the humble are being exalted. This poor peasant girl is receiving the exalted message. The priest in the temple offering the incense is getting the secondary one. But that's really beautiful, the yeah. way that it's structured like that, which is all of Psalm 113. The other interesting thing about Psalm 113, it ends, the very end of the passage, or the very end of the uh, the psalm has to do with God um, blessing the barren, oh. which, of course, yeah. you're like, oh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the whole Gospel of Luke. It's it's all tied together. Dude, that's, so it's a really neat connection. That's powerful to have it as, as the whole summary of Luke. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, dude, that kind of knocked my socks off. That guy's awesome. I, I mean, I mean, you are Thanks, awesome. I, so I, I'm stealing that from a guy named Patrick Henry Reardon, who has a wonderful book called Christ in the Psalms. Uh-huh. If you're curious, so giving okay. giving credit where credits due. <laughs> so that brings us to Timothy. Yo, Timmy. Oh, so this is another one of the pastoral. Well, we were in First Timothy last week too, right? We were. He's the pastoral epistles. Timothy was a pastor of the church in uh, Ephesus. So Paul is writing him a, a personal letter. Okay. Uh, I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> First Timothy. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it's um, well, the connection point. I mean, he, he asked that supplications. Um, well, no, I do have a connection. I, I actually did I have, have a I have a this. connection, too. This is the thing is that um, um, the, the authority allows poverty to actually be a good thing. So it says, okay. let's pray for authority that we may live a quiet and tranquil life in devotion and dignity. Yes. And that um, everybody needs to come to the knowledge of the truth, and it's the, the, and, and it's actually the considered authority is oriented towards all the poor and everybody. What ought to be. What ought to be. Yeah. Let's pray. So. And the ideal. Yeah. I mean, the other thing <laughs> I was well, just thinking. The one mediator, I mean, is 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 always really important to as far as an apologetic. Absolutely. Reality. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely, and and there being proper authority should provide for care to be given to the poor, and and you know everything to work together. That that's the ideal. It should also provide for the church to be able to exist and care for the poor in the way that it's supposed to do. It, it should allow everything to work together. But the other thing, um, if you kind of think about this. And these readings are all about the poor being cared for and the poor being lifted up because they need it. There's not just material poor, but there's also spiritually poor. And I think we're in a situation where oftentimes our leaders have a bit of spiritual poverty. It's true. Not just, I'm not just talking about political parties or anything like that. But You're I mean, talking about your parish pastor. I'm talking about my pastor, <laughs> whoever Golly, he may be. I don't know. But we need to we need to reach out to them as well. I mean, we need to we need to care for all the poor of the world, and we need to. I don't know. It's just interesting that somehow in the mind of the church, this passage about respecting your authority and our disposition towards authority and government is tucked into all these readings all about the poor and giving alms and actually caring for the poor and being mindful of them. I mean, how often, oh, there was a great uh, quote from Pope Francis, Francis, that I wanted to quote. Um, oh, he said it was so It was so good. He just gave it recently. It was a, It was a, at Mass, and he said... I, this is on John, John Bergsman's page as well. He says, none of us can say, I have nothing to do with all these problems. It is they who govern. So saying, you know, I, it's not my problem. The governor, the governors do this. He says, no, no, I am responsible for their governance. And I have to do the best so that they can govern well. I have to do my best by participating in politics according to my ability. Politics, according to the social doctrine of the church, is one of the highest forms of charity. 
because it serves the common good. I cannot wash away my hand. I cannot wash my hands, eh? We all have to give something. Wow. Which is a really powerful quote, I thought. It is. So those are Francis's thoughts on this. Thanks, Frankie. Franny. Uh, so that brings us to the gospel. The gospel of Luke. Now this is this is a hard passage, isn't it? Dude, this is this is like a, if if I were kayaking, uh-huh. this would be like a class five, dude. Rapid. Sure, that's fair. Yeah. It's true, actually. So this is the story about you can hit your head on a lot of stuff and 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 not come out. Dude, I was kayaking once and I got flipped over my head and I got my teeth knocked out because I got trapped in a. I got trapped in a waterfall wedged in there. I used to be, I used to kayak a lot, but I got trapped in this waterfall and I knocked some teeth out of my face. Um, it was bad. That's bad. But I was like, it's not as bad as this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. So this is Luke 16, but it's this weird parable that Jesus tells about a rich man who had this steward and the steward was squandering the property. Which, which by the way, my, my dad, this is one uh-huh. of his favorite quotes. He says, steward. Render thy an account of thy stewardship, for a steward thou art no longer. He used like, to say that is to that me. King James? I, I don't know. Must that, be. That's like Mickey Mussett, dude. He's <laughs> oh, just, Mickey Mussett. He just likes to say it in a dramatic way, and I, I love it. <laughs> it. It really makes me happy every time. It should. That's what Father Peter said as soon as I walked in the room today. <laughs> he cried that out to me. It took me back. Yeah, so there's this steward. He's squandering the property, and he finds out that he's going to lose his job. Basically, he hears wind. Um, he's unskilled in anything else. You know, it, it's interesting. In the ancient world, um, the slavery was not quite what it is now. It's, it wasn't a good, but you could sell yourself into slavery. And we actually have reports that there were actually, um, you know, young go-getters, entrepreneurs who would actually sell themselves into the slavery of rich people so they could be their steward and actually enter into kind of the upper crust of society. It's, it's a really weird concept. Wow. But you kind of get this idea. This guy isn't trained in anything else. He's probably, you know, you know, he's probably raised in a pretty good home. Maybe he sold himself into this guy's care so he could work for him and kind of break his way in. So he finds out he's going to lose his job. He can't do anything else. He's not skilled. He's too ashamed to beg, he said. So he says, okay, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to all the people who owe money to my, my master, and I'm going to basically tell him, here, rewrite your receipts. You know, you can cut... 20% off of yours or 10% off of yours. Therefore, when I'm when I lose my job, these guys will owe me one and I can go and be like, "Hey, remember when I was, you know, allowed you to cut your losses and all that." To which the master finds out and he commends him. He's like, "That was actually good. You can always it's almost begrudgingly, right? But yeah, that was pretty shrewd. That was a good move." Yeah. And it's it's really weird and that's what Jesus uses then the connection point to say, "That's how you should be." Basically, which is really weird, isn't it? Now, I have two insights on this or two thoughts on Dude, this. What I, do you got? I need your help because, like, this is the thing is on occasion I'll have an insight, but then I lose it on this one, man. This is this passage it bewilders me. It's hard. I mean, um, there's there's just the one on the one hand, you know, it, it's, it's what's Jesus doing right now in the context of this passage in, in Luke right now? He's making his way to Jerusalem. He's headed toward the cross. Uh, and his messages are getting more and more urgent because he knows his time is limited. So his teachings are getting a little bit more dramatic. And so on some level, he's saying, guess what? The time is near. You need to start thinking about the future. You need to start acting accordingly. Not necessarily doing what this guy did, yeah. but having the mindset of, are, is my house in order? You know, yeah. what if the master comes? What am I going to do? So that, that's one thing. And having that sort of uh, idea. But there, Saint, um, oh, how do you pronounce this? St. Gaudentius. Do you read this? 
Yeah, I, I read that a while ago. I, I, I remember reading this years ago, and St. Gaudentius, I think. He basically says, no, what's going on here, mystically, is that the unrighteous steward, this guy, actually represents the devil, who realizes that his time is up, that he is done, he is lost, and he is about to get fired. So what is he doing? He is shrewdly going around trying to make friends with everyone he can, trying to cut bargains and, and uh, you know cut deals everywhere he can. And we have to be aware of that. We have to watch out for the Satan who's going to try to make deals with us and cut these things and because he knows he's lost. He knows the battle is done and he's about to get kicked out. So beware. Well, it, it's kind of it's funny because it does sound a little bit like a mob boss. Doesn't like, it? He's like, I'll, it totally do, does. I'll do a favor for you, but I'll call upon you later. Oh, it totally does. It's also, um, oh, what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's difficult, though. What else you got? Um, I mean I've read all the commentary I mean I've been reading notes now I I just still I still have a hard time with it because look at what Jesus says he says what does he say Um, for the children of this world are more prudent okay so I tell you friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails make, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails you may be welcomed into eternal dwellings the person who is un, who is trustworthy in small matters will be trustworthy in great ones. The person who is dishonest about small matters will be dishonest about great ones. And that all makes sense. I mean, we get that. The, the, but how the, does that apply? The point of the story is very clear. You cannot serve both God and money. Right. That's the last line, God and mammon, which is mammon, by the way, is the Aramaic word for wealth. I just mm. probably would have spoken in Aramaic, but yeah, that's yeah. where mammon is. You can't serve both of these things. Where And, and so we get that. Yeah. It's, it's just... How do we um, live in a shrewd capacity? Well, to where like, well, I mean, sometimes it's like I will give. I mean, I will give extra, and and I don't mind it when I do a favor for somebody if they feel like they're indebted and that they that they actually owe something to the Lord, owe something to me because it keeps us in relationship when somebody's on the very edge. Yep. If somebody's on the very edge, then then you can do that. But then uh, until the realization and the grasp of of where life and where goodness is actually coming from for them. So 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 there's some little there's a little politic in there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm also reminded, I mean, this this passage about um, making friends with how does he say it? Make friends with dishonest wealth. I mean, I think on some level, and this doesn't explain it all away, but on some level, so, you know, the the pagans, the, the religions that were popular in Jesus' time outside of the Jewish thinking world. I mean, the idea was if you sacrificed to the gods, if you did these things, then he would bless, then they would bless you with wealth. You would get stuff, right? It's, it's the health and wealth gospel of today, right? Yes. If you are good and if you do these good things and if you follow God, then you're going to get stuff. You're going to have the nice house and the nice cars. That's what the pagan the pagan religions believed. If you worship God and if, gods and you did these things, then you would get stuff. You would be blessed in this life. The Christian understanding is exactly the opposite. You take the good things that we actually have and we use them to win the spiritual things. So it's not that if we do spiritual things, we're going to get material things. Is that there are material things that we need to figure out how to use for the sake of the spiritual. So if we have resources, if we have money, you have a, a really cool Jeep, we need to figure out how to use those things for the spiritual, for the souls of the people that are around us. So yes. make friends with wealth, whether it's dishonest or honest, it's just stuff. It is money. Money is money. Um, cars are cars. Things are things. It's what we do with those things for the sake of, for the, sake of the spiritual realities. Yes, absolutely. That's how I read that. Well, and and I see Jesus. I mean, like this is the thing: is that Jesus is the master, re, you know, yeah. returning, 
Yeah. Uh, and but at the same time, he's utilizing all of these things and all of these re- yeah. like like he he made friends with a bunch of dishonest guys who were strugglers. Yeah. And they were all struggling, and he made yep. friends with them. Yep. In the and you have Joseph of Arimathea who got him a tomb. You, yeah. You, you need certain preparatory realities for a man who is entirely poor. Yeah. To to absolutely. make he got he got donkeys. He got all sorts of stuff, and these are all people <laughs> who needed redeeming. Yeah. The donkeys. No, the people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, Did you a, just call me? I called you a donkey. Okay. Uh, so that's the thing yeah. is that I see Christ in his poverty actually doing this himself. Yes, and absolutely. So that the, so that the, the allegiances and the ties would actually lead into salvation. Yes, absolutely. Which is twisting the way the world thinks about this. It's rever- It's ironically reversing the structure of the world. It's lifting up the lowly. It's bringing down the, the exalted. It's flipping logic on its head, right? Yes. Basically, which I, is the point of these readings. That's the common thread, I think. Dude, I'm about to flip you on your head. Flip it. All right, guys, we got to go. Thanks for listening. Uh, shout us out on Facebook. <sighs> shout us on Shoutrist. <laughs> on Shoutrist. Pin us on, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Look us up on the Weather Channel because we're there. Um, <laughs> listen, next week we'll be back. We don't miss this show. That's what we tried to prove to you guys in the flood. The, not even a flood will keep us from doing this show. Flood waters will not quench love. Or keep them away. What is that song? Not that. Yeah. It's good. (laughs) So we'll be back next week. Send us an email. Link you guys at thomascenter.org. Facebook, Pinterest, Weather Channel, whatever you got. Love you. Bye. See you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.